you know you have a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. Season 4, Episode 8. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. If you've ever dreamed of writing and actually publishing your story, you will find all the mentoring you'll need to fulfill that book launching dream or that book creating dream or that book get it on paper dream. I would love to see you at the next intensive in February if possible. And anyway, um, just check it out all at BookLaunchMentor.com. I'd also really appreciate it if you could write a quick iTunes review. Uh, That would be awesome. And uh, if you want to share your story with the listeners, uh, you can go to marydemuth.com and you can record a little four-minute story, and uh, that will be featured at the end of each episode. So today I am welcoming my friend and fellow author, Renee Guttridge. She is a novelist as well as a screenwriter, and she is going to share the story of what is it like to give something up in terms of vocation and giving up a dream and seeing how God redeems all that. And so for those of you who are walking through a shattered dream or are kind of at the end of yourself when it comes to vocation, this will be a good good one to listen to. Plus, she's very funny and an amazing person, so you will love it. So let's welcome Renee. Hey everyone, it's Mary DeMuth with The Restory Show, and I'm excited to have Renee Guttridge with me this week. And Renee, thank you so much for coming on today's show. Oh, you are welcome, my friend. I'm super glad to be here. Yay. So give our listeners a little snapshot of who you are, where you grew up, how you met Christ, stuff like that. Okay. Well, I grew up in Oklahoma, and I've been here my whole life, so probably evident through my accent. But I love it here, and I've raised my kids here, so it's fantastic. We currently live in Moore, Oklahoma, uh, which is the tornado capital of the world. So things get kind of exciting here in the springtime, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, and I wouldn't, I, w- I don't care. You know, I, I love the city, and so I'm glad to be here. So a little bit about who I am. I was a creative and I enjoyed writing my whole life. I met Christ at a very, very, very tiny age, have been with him ever since. So I'm just, I guess, a Christian that has, I don't have the the story about, you know, I had this great conversion. I, and I, it was a fantastic conversion. I remember it. I was five years old, but I sometimes wish I had that story where, you know, I had this amazing moment where I came to the altar and left your life of crime. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Left my life of crime. And then (laughs) I got this amazing conversion story because I've seen it in my friends and it's so amazing to listen to them talk about it as an adult. But as a child, It was very sweet. I was five. It was Christmas Eve. And I just remember just loving him and just, yes, I want him. And so not to say that I've walked super closely with him my whole life because I was a teenager and did go to college, but I, he was always there and I always attended church. I just um, had, you know, different levels of commitment through the years. So Yeah, so that's 
kind of a snapshot. Is that enough of a snapshot? That is a snapshot. (laughs) I write 120,000 word novels, Mary. So (laughs) it's really hard for me to tell a short story here. I know. It's hard to hard to nutshell things. I know that that's a little related to the story that you're going to tell today. So why don't you share the story that's on your heart? Yeah, well, there are so many, right? Like, golly, how do you how do you pick one? But I think the one the one that I most often tell to writers, when you're a writer, it's you kind of live it, you kind of breathe it. It's kind of part of your DNA and so it's kind of it's you get to this place where it's all you want. And it's not necessarily always ambition. When God create something in you and makes you to be something, um, you want to do it. So if you're an engineer, you want to get hired by an engineering firm. So I think it's particularly frustrating for writers when they're trying to break in because it's not like you can just go get hired, you know, go submit your resume and get hired by a company. It's a whole journey of writing and getting better and just hoping somebody will like you and and that person will be an editor <laughs> and not your cousin, you know. Your um, mom. <laughs> mom, everybody, you know, every, somebody that has the power to put your your book out there. And so I was I was pretty young. I was twenty-six, but I had been pursuing professional writing since I was a teenager. So I'd been studying it. I majored uh, in mass communications with screenwriting emphasis. So it, you know, even though looking back, I was young, for me, it was already a 10 year journey of trying to be a professional writer. And I'd gotten some rejection letters. And by some, I mean, a million <laughs> it just was not happening for me. The letters I was getting were not just like, no, your book's not right for us. It was like, you're not right for us and you shouldn't be writing. I mean, it was weird. I It was a whole like season of strange rejection. So anyway, all that to say, I was beaten down. I mean, beaten down because it's kind of, you know, it's who you are. It's a part of of how you believe God has created you. And when you're not able to use it in the way that you think God is wanting you to use it, it just feels so defeating. And you kind of feel like a failure. Like you're kind of going to God and you're like, it's it's obviously not you. It must be me. <laughs> I'm the failure here. And so it was a February. I was very pregnant. It was freezing cold, I remember. And this is my first child. And I think I was like six months pregnant, but in my mind, I was like 14 months pregnant. (laughs) I just remember really waddling into the living room at 3 a.m. Like I had this big baby in me and I was very, very excited to be a mom. So excited to be a mom. And But this other part of me was sort of dying. The writer side of me was dying. and. I remember kneeling down in the middle of my living room. I have no idea why it was a living room. I think it was just a space and it was away from everything. And and it was really dark and the moon was kind of glowing through the windows. And I remember getting down on my knees, which I don't do very much. I pray a lot, but I don't physically get down on my knees. And I got down on my knees and 
I just said, it's yours. I I don't want it anymore. You can you can have it if you don't want me to be a writer. Like it's 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 okay. It's okay as long as you have it. You know, as long as you're the one that has this dream. I'm putting it into your hands. And if you just want me to be a mom, I'm okay with that. Like it was one of the only times in my whole however old I am now. I mean, this has been a 39-year walk with Christ. One of the few times that I can say it was total surrender. And there's a lot of times I've been through my life where I've I've said it and I've wanted to mean it, but I don't know that it, it left my heart like I was really handing it over. But this night, it really did. I prayed it. I remember I got up, I went to bed, and I felt this complete peace like I hadn't felt in years. And I lay down, I slept like a baby. Oh my gosh, I remember like, it's the kind of sleep that you get. Like, I don't know if you've ever had surgery, but you're a tired mom and they like give you anesthesia. Like you're so excited, you know, you're just like, (laughs) my gosh, this is going to be great. This is like 45 minutes of deep sleep. I haven't had this in a long time. I mean, that was the kind of sleep. Like I just, I didn't dream. I just went out and and the next morning I got up and, and I knew that I had given it over and I just kind of went on. I just kind of went on with my life. You know, I prepared to, to bring my child into this world and, and everything. <laughs> and so John was born um, May 27th and I have this newborn baby. What year was that? Uh, 99. Okay. 1999. And um, I wasn't a, I don't know, you know how some people are just kind of really good at being a mom just suddenly, like they're just like, oh my gosh, they know how to wrap the baby and they know. (laughs) So I wasn't that person. I was, I was so stressed out the whole time. I was just, and, and he was colicky and anyway, so have my son and I'm being a mom and out of the blue, I get this phone call and it's the senior acquisitions editor at Bethany house. He's, I I think he was at LaGuardia airport and he's calling me and he said, we want to offer you a book deal. Hmm. And it was just the craziest. It was just the craziest thing. How did that happen behind the scenes? Well, I'm assuming God was working. I, I mean, they, I, my book projects were everywhere. I mean, every publishing house had a book of mine that <laughs> I was trying to sell, you know? And so, I mean, it, who knows what's, what was in the stacks of, of papers, but I, you know, I just given up on all of it and I got a book deal. I have a newborn baby. I, I had not written the full book. It was just a few chapters that they had read and, I had a newborn baby and seven months to write my first novel for a publishing house, you know, and then, you know, I'm like on my knees again. This is crazy. God, how am I going to do this? I can't. And I mean, I, I wrote that book, you know, I, I, I was young, so I could write at night. I can't write at night anymore. I'm too tired, but I would, you know, feed him at 11 and write till one and feed him at one and write another hour and, you know, I mean, it was, I did what I had to do. I still to this day don't know how I did it. I certainly could not have done it like that now. But anyway, you know, it's not to say that when you surrender things, 
God automatically gives them back to you. Sometimes you're surrendering a thing that you weren't supposed to have in the first place. And those are lessons that I've learned as I've grown and matured. You know, not every, not every dream is the right one. Um, and I'm a big dreamer. I'm a big dreamer. I'm a big, ambitious person. And so I've had to learn to put everything in front of him. Because I'm also, I just jump off. I'm like, somebody's like, let's do a project. I'm like, okay. And then eight months later, I'm like, oh, I probably should have prayed about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had some hard lessons to learn, Mary, over the years. But it was a sweet, it was a sweet moment with the Lord that he cared about my dreams. And that that single story has propelled me through many years and, and helped me get through hard things. Yeah. So, you know, I'm in your same space. So we both write books and we both write novels and the the industry has ebbed and flowed and sometimes it's awesome and a lot of times it's unawesome. <laughs> and so give us an example of ways that you've had to kind of shepherd or steward your calling to write when things when things are not so easy. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you, you, when you start your professional writing career, it becomes very clear, very quickly that this isn't quite what you thought it was going to (laughs) be. And there's a lot of joy in it. The joy is in the creating of the books, but the business side of it is, is difficult. And most of us who are writers are not great business people. You know, we, some of us are, and I love those people. I want a piece of them, but I'm not, I'm not great at that. And so I just kind of wanted to go in my cave and write my little books and everybody love them and buy them. And why is this difficult? This seems perfectly reasonable for this to be able to happen. It doesn't happen that way. You know, some books do well, some books do terribly. Some of my favorite books I've written, uh, and in my opinion, the most powerful, have been my lower sellers. Um, and it makes me sad. Uh, it makes me really sad because I really you know, feel like there's something to those books. But and, and add on top of that, add on top of that, that the writer's heart is particularly vulnerable to almost everything. <laughs> 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 That'll I preach. Mean, we have, yeah, we have a hard time in life. I mean, we were created to be able to expand our heart and be able to see what others don't see and to be able to take in other people's story and pain and translate that onto a page. Uh, but that takes its toll. So, you know, you have to you have to really line yourself up. I do. I have to really line myself up with God and his word and just, you know, walk every day carefully in him. And when I get off track, it, it has its consequences. Yeah. And so you have, you know, you started off your, even as a young person, you had a heart for writing screenplay. And um, I know that you've had the opportunity to produce a movie. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing deal. Like, I was standing at church one day. I, I've been pursuing, you know, that's what I studied. 
and novel writing, you know, that was definitely what I was supposed to be doing for, you know, almost 20 years. But screenwriting was always a, a love of mine and, and what I always felt like I should be doing. Eventually, I didn't know when. And I was sitting, standing in church one day and a lady, a good friend of mine was standing next to me and she's like, I think I want to make a movie. And it was just you know, you hear that all the time and she's a businesswoman. She's not even in film. And anyway, I thought she was joking, but it turned out she wasn't. She's kind of one of those people that just wants to do something for an experience. And she had actually been taking some classes and she was interested in it and she'd read all my books. And so we began a discussion about really making a film in Oklahoma and we did it. And it was just so hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so hard. Uh, but it was so amazing, and it really put me into the Oklahoma film scene, which I really I I hadn't been in very much. Most of my dealings were were elsewhere when I was working on stuff, and so you know, and when I when I got out of school years ago, there was no Oklahoma film scene. We didn't have a film scene. Twenty years, we are a fantastic place to make a movie. We're affordable great people, hard workers, all the things that Oklahoma stands for, we've got here in our film scene. So making Skid was amazing. And for the budget that we had, it turned out fantastic. I've seen it. It's amazing. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's on Amazon Prime, right? Amazon Prime. It's a really fun movie. And we had a blast doing it. So, uh, you know, God is good. And he gives us these gifts that are just so far outside of what we can do for ourselves. As you look back on making Skid, were there moments where you thought this is not going to work and yet God came through? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing we, there's uh, a few of those. <laughs> the oh, whole my thing. God. How much time do we have? We had so many terrible things happen on set. I mean, we and and with our like one of one of the big things was one of the main characters is a pig so we had to (laughs) find a pig you know and so we found this pig this trained pig um his name is jimmy dean (laughs) and so we we hired jimmy dean and the poor pig got shot by a neighbor and killed oh no yes your actor was murdered (laughs) actor was murdered it was horrifying and then so then we hired this pig trainer out of Texas and he's, he said, yeah, you know, well, I, I definitely have a pig that we could bring and we've got twins. So we'll train them to do exactly what you want them to do. And we'll have them ready by the time the film's ready to shoot. And those look great. So three days before we're bringing him on set, we get a call and the guy was just flaking out. He's like, well, they're not coming. And all kinds of different excuses. We couldn't tell if they gained a whole bunch of weight and wouldn't fit on the plane or what the story was. But anyway, that was over. So we just put a call out on Facebook. Does anybody have a pig that might do what we want it to do? And and we... I mean, we we were ready to fly a pig in from L.A. Like we were that desperate because we have to have this pig to tell the story. And we got a message on Facebook from a lady that was like 10 minutes from our set. She's like, I have a little pig and his name's Oliver and he's trained. He'll do anything for snacks. And so we brought him on. And sure enough, he's 
He loves snacks, so <laughs> he is so cute, though. You have to see this movie just to see this pig. But yeah, so, and, and that went on every day. We always had a crisis every day on set, but that's filmmaking. You just have to put out the fires. That's amazing. And how did you, uh, how did you cast that? Did you cast it with local actors and how did that work? Yeah, we did. We cast it with local, uh, mostly local actors. We did have a casting agent uh, we worked with for extras because we had to fill up a whole plane. So we needed a lot of extras, but we we did our own casting and we just auditioned a lot of people and we have amazing talent in Oklahoma. Um, we brought some people, Tori Martin from Nashville, another one of our actors from Kansas City and a couple of our crew members from Kansas City. But mostly, as I'd say, 70 percent uh, of our whole film were Oklahoma people. So. Uh, it was really, it was really amazing. We won um, best uh, Oklahoma feature film at Dead Center Film Festival in 2015. So it was quite a journey. I, it was one of the best times of my life. So was it strange? And you know, I've I've thought about this before. I don't have a a movie yet for any of my novels. But was it strange to see it played out in real life like that? Like, wow, to see your words being spoken by actors must have been pretty surreal. It was. It was. I, I've had actually two movies made for my books. The the one that I did, Skid, and then the Hallmark movie, uh, Love's Complicated, which is based on my life as a doormat. And Skid was particularly interesting because I would because I was so involved on set in producing and basically doing anything I needed to do. I remember I was just walking one of the actors down. Uh, her character was Lucy. And uh, she's in Lucy wore in the book, this polka dot dress. And we had found the costume. We had a costumer and we found this perfect dress. And I'm walking Tori, the actress down, you know, to the plane. And I'm just looking at her and I'm just like, it's, it's Lucy, it's Lucy. And, and I had this, I had this total breakdown on set. It was the last scene that we filmed, which happened to be, the last scene of the book that does, I mean, of the movie, it doesn't always happen like that, but it, it happened this way. And Lucy is walking away and she turns back to look, um, not at me, but at another character, but it felt like she looked at me and kind of like we did it you know good job see you later and she walks off and I am bawling on set like I cannot hold it together and it's probably also that I was very sleep deprived and tired and all of that but it was just amazing I mean I it is amazing you know it's one thing to look at it on the page because the reader is imagining their own character but then to see that character come to life out of outside of the page and, and standing there in front of you, it really is surreal. That's awesome. And so as we begin to wrap up, uh, what kind of advice would you give to someone with a dream? And it wouldn't have to be someone that wants to be a writer necessarily, but just someone that has this ner this dream that will not, it keeps them up at night and it will not die. What kind of advice would you give someone like that? two things. I mean, for me, this is just for me, what I've learned over the years, it takes so much grit. And we don't talk about grit very much. I don't think anymore. But you don't have to, you know, be a gunslinger to have grit. And I think 
you know, for our, for me as a writer, grit includes going in my closet and crying when it gets to be too much. But then you come out of your closet and you get going. Um, whatever your dream is, you you've gotta you've gotta be able to endure because it's whatever it is, it won't be easy, and it will require sacrifice, and it will ask a lot of you. And so that's one part of it for me. Um, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, what I found in my walk of faith is that, you know, (laughs) recently I kind of had a disastrous ending to a project and it was really sad and it was very difficult for me. And I remember just being, I'm just praying and it's sort of like God was asking, so you've come to the end of yourself, have you? Good. (laughs) You know? That's where I need you to be. I saw something from Eugene Peterson the other day on Twitter that he said something like, I'm going to go take a nap so I can get out of God's way. You know, it's like sometimes it's such a a, a hard balance to have that grit and pursue and, and have your ambitions while also getting out of the way so God can do what he needs to do. And that, to me, requires constant prayer and, and just being close to the Lord because otherwise those get really out of balance. So, and I think the dream changes over the years um, as you get older and you begin to, to see what's important in life. You know, sometimes those dreams can, can change to where maybe they're more useful in the world doing it this way than it was doing the way that you had in your mind that was birthed when you were a teenager. So, uh, but I would say don't give up. Um, if it's if it keeps you up at night, I would say it's probably from God and something you were born to do. Yep, so true. So as you look back over the past year, you mentioned some things falling apart this year. Uh, how has God restoried you? Well, I'm. I think right now I'm in the re part of restory. <laughs> I, I don't think we've managed to get quite over to the new story yet. Um, but it's. You know, I've been real fragile for a little while, and I think that's okay. In this business, you kind of learn to have a stiff upper lip, um, hold yourself together, because the true artistic nature really isn't so socially acceptable. (laughs) And so you learn, you know, you put on that stoic face. And and I've done that for years, and, and it's not a bad thing. Nobody wants to see you crying in the middle of a business meeting, but... But for me, in this season, I've had to let myself actually be sad, actually grieve uh, what was lost. What, how God will restore that has not been revealed yet. But I'm grieving it. I'm asking myself hard questions about it. And I'm in my prayer closet a lot. And I'm just laying my head on the lap of Jesus and just trying to, to understand because disappointment is never fun. It's just never fun. Um, but I think that God can really restore, as as you know, when you're humble and just asking him to be there. I really like what you had to say about grief, because I think we as a culture avoid it at all costs. And yet the way through is often to just do it, to grieve it, to acknowledge it, to point to it and say, this is hard, this hurts. And uh there's really no way to put icing on top of grief. You have to eat the grief cupcake without the icing. You know? 
<laughs> which has no sugar. It's just flour. <laughs> it's just nothing. I'm doing Whole30 right now, so I can't even have a cupcake. And But if I oh. did, it would have like, you know, like almond flour and eggs, and that would be it. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> that's hard. We're we're doing keto at our house, so so same um, idea. Interesting. Yeah, it's been interesting. <laughs> well, Renee, thank you for your insight, for your humor, for your story, and your encouragement to go into that prayer closet and pray. I really appreciate you sharing it with the listeners this week. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. The Restory Show is all about community. And I want you to have the opportunity to tell your amazing story. All you have to do is click the gray box on the upper right-hand side of marydemuth.com and it says, share your story. You have up to two minutes to tell us what's going on in your life and to share an encouraging story with the Restory Show listeners. And now let's listen to a new story. Hi, my name is Gina and I live in Michigan. I heard your story on the God Center Mom podcast. And for the last couple of weeks, I've heard God just ask me to share my story with you. I grew up in a drug and alcohol addicted home. I'm the oldest of four kids, and both of my parents were heroin heroin addicts and alcoholics. A normal day for us would be going to school and then being picked up from our parents and having to go to Detroit, like a bad neighborhood, and get my parents what my dad would call their medicine so that they would feel better. On the way down, we'd have to often pull over on the side of the road and in the alley so that my mom could throw up. And my dad would just tell us that mom would get her medicine soon and she'd feel all better. I started knowing something was a little bit wrong by the time I got to the age of eight because things were just chaotic. My parents were constantly screaming and yelling. And then I would have days where everything would be fine. And then other days I would come home and mom would be passed out on the couch. And I wouldn't know if she was alive because she had soiled herself so bad. And I'd have to shake her to wake her up. So I took on a huge responsibility as the oldest child, waiting for dad to get home and making sure my siblings were staying alive and being taken care of and having to wake mom up when she was driving and telling her to turn left or right. It didn't look like the typical drug an alcohol addicted house. We had a spotless home. Mom cooked dinner every night. We grew up Catholic, so we went to catechism and volunteered on Sundays and did the whole church thing. And we we knew about Jesus, which was awesome. And then um, when I was eight years old, my dad decided, my both my parents decided to go to rehab for two weeks. And when they got out, um, my dad stayed sober and worked a hardcore AA and NA program. And my mom would continue to use alcohol and drugs. And then at the age of 14 or 15, my mom went to jail for three months. And then the day she got out, she came home and we saw her and everything was amazing. And we gave her hugs and she promised us that life would be awesome and we'd have our mom back. And she couldn't wait to see what God had for our family. And then we went home that night with my dad and woke up in the morning to find out that my mom had accidentally overdosed on prescription pills and died in her sleep. Um, After that, I had a bad turning point. I only have a minute left, but I started, I was good for about a year. And then once I didn't need to take care of my sister and brother anymore, I started drinking, binge drinking and blacking out every night and driving home like that and being terrible with my choices and doing things against my morals. And that has a lot of story in itself. 
at the age of 20, I decided to get sober and stop using drugs and alcohol and met my husband and we started becoming, seeing how God could work in our lives. And we've had two kids in this time in the past eight years and a new home and jobs and just the way God has provided for us is amazing. And I could never just tell it in a short blip the whole story, but I just wanted to share a little bit with you because every story matters and the way God has turned around my life after the chaos is just incredible. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, I pray for all those today facing a a broken dream, and I pray that you would either help us to mourn it or surrender it or let go of it or keep persevering, whatever it is that you're trying to tell us. Um, Help us to discern what it is you're trying to tell us, because sometimes we can just feel like we're hitting our head against the wall over and over again, and we don't know the light and the way and the path that you want us to walk. So would you be clear? And I pray that you would confirm that and confirm our direction, not just through you and through your word, but through our community, um, that you would send people into our lives who could offer wisdom and help and guidance as we seek what's next in our lives. Lord, thank you for the person today who's listening to this, who's just struggling and who feels broken beyond words. Lord, thank you that you are that broken Savior who understands our weaknesses. Um, Thank you that you are strong in our weaknesses. Your grace is sufficient. So I pray for that sufficient grace to pour over my listeners today, that they would experience that um, uncanny, beautiful love that you have for them. I pray all this in Jesus' beautiful, amazing name. Amen. If you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marriedmuth.com forward slash four dash eight, and may you live a brand new story this week.